The House and Senate both returned today and will stay in session through Thursday. Last week in the House, the House came back to work on Tuesday. They took up and passed three bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House took up the rule governing floor consideration of H.R. 7900, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, S. 3373, the Protecting Our Gold Star Families Education Act, H.R. 8296, the Women's Health Protection Act, H.R. 8297, the Ensuring Women's Right to Reproductive Freedom Act, and H.R. 6538, the Active Shooter Alert Act. The rule passed by a vote of 217 to 204. Then the House took up and passed two bills under suspension. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 6538, the Active Shooter Alert Act, by a vote of 260 to 169. Then the House took up S. 3373, the Protecting Our Gold Star Families Education Act, which passed by a vote of 342 to 88. Then the House took up H.R. 7900, the National Defense Authorization Act for FY 2023. As you know, the NDAA is the annual defense policy bill. It's what we call a must-pass piece of legislation. This annual bill has passed every year for 61 years, and this year will be no different. Over the course of Wednesday and Thursday, the House considered 40 amendments to the bill, of which 26 were adopted. Then the House voted on the NDAA as amended, and it passed by a vote of 329 to 101. Then the House took up and passed eight more bills under suspension of the rules. On Friday, the House took up H.R. 8296, the Women's Health Protection Act, and passed it by a vote of 219 to 210. Then the House took up H.R. 8297, the Ensuring Access to Abortion Act, and passed it by a vote of 223 to 205. Now, here's what you probably wouldn't find if you were just scouring the mainstream media for votes in the House last week. You wouldn't find coverage of the votes on the motions to recommit. Under Clause 2 of House Rule 19, one motion to recommit is in order after the House has ordered the previous question, that is, that's the parliamentary maneuver that the House uses to bring debate to a close. Think of it as the House version of the cloture rule in the Senate. And before the vote on final passage. So, traditionally, that's the Speaker gives preference to a member of the minority party who opposes the bill under consideration. It's a resolution that sends a bill back to the relevant committee of jurisdiction with instructions that the committee do something in particular. For example, if the underlying bill contains a tax increase opposed by the minority party, then the motion to commit, I'm uh, sorry, the motion to recommit might be a resolution sending the bill back to the Ways and Means Committee with instructions to remove the tax increase. In this case, the minority party cleverly used their two motions to recommit to demonstrate a bright line distinction between the two parties on the issue of abortion and to show just how remarkably extreme the modern Democrat party is on the issue. So before the final passage vote on H.R. 8296, the Women's Health Protection Act, the Republicans offered a motion to recommit that was a vote on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Act which would have required that all healthcare prov practitioners provide the same level of care to a baby born alive after an abortion as they would to any other child born alive. That failed on a party line vote of 209 to 218. So 200 and ho 218 House Democrats went on the record 
voting against legislation that would have required healthcare practitioners to provide the same level of care to a live baby born after a failed abortion as they would to any other live baby. That's truly remarkable. That's virtually infanticide. And then before the final passage vote on H.R. 8297, the Ensuring Access to Abortion Act, the GOP motion to recommit was a vote on the Child Interstate Abortion Notification Act, which would have prohibited individuals from transporting a minor across a state line to avoid parental notification laws regarding an abortion. That, too, failed on a party line vote, 209 to 219. So every House Democrat went on record voting against a bill that would have prohibited taking a minor across a state line to procure an abortion without having to notify her parents. Again, remarkable extremism on display. After the House passed the two abortion-related bills, the House took up and passed one more bill under suspension of the rules, and then they were done. This week in the House, they'll come back into session on Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up 10 bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House will launch its consideration of the annual appropriations bills. First up will be H.R. 8294, a seven-bill minibus combining the appropriations bills for transportation, housing and urban development, agriculture, rural development, energy and water development, financial services and general government, interior, environment, military construction, and veterans affairs. In addition, the House will consider H.R. 8373, the Right to Contraception Act, which would codify in law the Supreme Court ruling in Griswold v. Connecticut, a 1965 ruling which established the right to privacy and guaranteed the right to access to contraception. And as always, additional legislative items are possible. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back to work on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Ashish S. Vazirani to be Deputy Undersecretary of Defense. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Stephen M. Dettelbach to be Director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. He becomes the first Senate-confirmed Director of the ATF since 2015. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Michael S. Barr to be a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of that very same Michael S. Barr to be Vice Chairman for Supervision of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Owen Edward Hernstadt to be a member of the Board of Directors of the Export-Import Bank. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Kate Elizabeth Heinzelman to be General Counsel of the Central Intelligence Agency. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm her to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Juliana Michelle Childs to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals. And then they were done. This week in the Senate, they'll come back to work today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on a motion to invoke cloture on the nomination of Nina Nguyen to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Colorado. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I anticipate the Senate will take up the nomination of Nancy L. Maldonado to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Illinois. On Tuesday, the Senate may take up a very slimmed-down version of the China competitiveness bill, about which we'll speak more in just a moment. 
Now to Pennsylvania. On Monday of last week, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, a Democrat, signed into law SB 982, a bipartisan election integrity bill that bars the use of non-public monies for the administration of elections, which means local elected officials can no longer accept private funding from corporations, foundations, or individuals for conducting elections or employing individuals on a temporary basis. That's the end of Zuckerbucks in Pennsylvania. Now to an assault weapons ban, or I should say a so-called assault weapons ban. For the first time since 1994, the House Judiciary Committee will mark up H.R. 1808, a piece of legislation that would make it illegal for anyone to, quote, import, sell, manufacture, or transfer, end quote, semi-automatic rifles that have what it calls, quote, military features, unquote. These features include a detachable magazine or a fixed magazine with the capacity to accept more than 10 rounds. Semi-automatic pistols and shotguns with similar features will also be covered under the ban. This bill does not call for the removal or confiscation of any covered firearm that any American currently owns. It would bar the manufacture or sale of new weapons. In addition, there is a long list of exempted weapons, including antique firearms and more than 2,000 different models of sporting and hunting rifles. The bill currently has 211 co-sponsors, so it's actually not a sure thing that it will pass the House. That is, there are not yet enough co-sponsors to guarantee its passage. And, of course, it stands no chance of advancing in the Senate, where it would need at least 10 Republican votes to advance to the floor. A bill banning so-called assault weapons there, introduced by California Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein, only has 37 co-sponsors. Now to inflation. On Wednesday morning of last week, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released the monthly Consumer Price Index inflation report, revealing that inflation had surged 9.1% year over year, even higher than the 8.8% inflation rate projected by Dow Jones. Excluding food and energy, inflation costs rose by 5.9%, also eclipsing the 5.7% estimate projected by economists. That 9.1% jump is the fastest rate of inflation since November 1981. The result may be an even larger than anticipated rate hike by the Federal Reserve Board when it next meets on July 26 and 27. The anticipated 75 basis point increase may now become a 100 basis point increase, a full percentage point jump in one move. Now to that another try at a reconciliation bill. Last week, we got up to speed on the ongoing negotiations between West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer whose staffs have been working the last several months to see if they could find something they could agree to pass in a reconciliation bill that could get around the Senate's need for 60 votes to move on anything. In this week's episode, Senator Manchin saw those inflation numbers we just talked about and freaked out. On Thursday evening, the Washington Post reported that Manchin had told Schumer that Manchin was not comfortable doing anything before the end of the month and the beginning, I'm sorry, he was not comfortable doing anything right now on the tax or environment front, and that if Schumer really felt a need to move a floor, move a bill to the floor before the end of the month and the beginning of the August recess, then the only thing he'd be able to pass with Manchin's support, which is another way of saying the only thing he'd be able to pass, 
would be for a bill that does two things on the healthcare front. It allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices and it extends for two years enhanced Obamacare subsidies that were set to expire for 13 million Americans at the end of the year. Off the table, at least for now, would be any changes to the tax code, read no tax hikes, or on the energy and climate front, read no Green New Deal stuff. That loud sound you heard Thursday night around 9.15 Eastern Standard Time, that is about five minutes after the Washington Post posted their piece online, was the wailing and gnashing of teeth of liberal Democrats all over the country as the reality of their position sank in. When your Senate majority is so slim that it is actually not a majority, you're in trouble. By Friday morning, Democrats were in high dudgeon about Manchin's perceived perfidy. And Manchin recognized it and decided he wanted to push back a little bit. So he went on the radio with one of his favorite outlets, Hoppy Kerchival of Metro News, the dean of West Virginia radio broadcasters, and shared his side of the story. Quote, I said, Chuck, until we see the July inflation figures, until we see the July Federal Reserve rates, interest rates, then let's wait until that comes out so we know that we're going down the path that won't be inflammatory to add more inflation. Manchin said on the radio, inflation is absolutely killing many, many people. Next month's inflation numbers won't be released until August 10. Of course, that would be in the middle of the August recess. So even if the inflation numbers in August turn out to be good, they wouldn't be able to take advantage of that until after the Senate's return in early September. And then they'd be pushing up against the September 30 end of the fiscal year time to get out of here to campaign push. On Friday afternoon, President Biden urged congressional Democrats to take yes for an answer. Families all over the nation will sleep easier if Congress takes this action, he said in a statement released by the White House. The Senate should move forward, pass it before the August recess and get it to my desk so I can sign it, he said. Of course, he left out a step there. The bill would also have to pass the House. And given the anger toward Manchin among progressives in the House Democrat caucus, that's not a sure thing. On that front and employing her brilliant command of the King's English House Speaker Pelosi said, I would be very, of course, disappointed if the whole saving the planet is out of the bill. According to the Congressional Budget Office, giving giving Medicare the authority to negotiate lower drug prices would save an estimated $288 billion over the next decade. Paying for two years' worth of extended Obamacare subsidies would cost $40 billion, leaving $248 billion that could be used to reduce the deficit. Now to that China competitiveness bill. Meanwhile, there was movement on the China competitiveness bill, too, but it wasn't in the direction President Biden and his congressional Democrat allies wanted. On Thursday, Majority Leader Schumer told his fellow Senate Democrats that they should prepare to vote on a slimmed-down version as early as tomorrow. The slimmed-down version of the bill would fund $52 billion in incentives for semiconductor chip manufacturers, but would jettison large sections of the China competitiveness sections of the bill that's still stuck in conference. In addition, tax credits for ongoing semiconductor manufacturing would be included. Schumer and Majority Leader McConnell are still working out the details of floor consideration, and we're still not sure what will and won't be in the final bill. Without those details, trying to do a whip count is a pointless exercise, as is trying to figure out if there will be enough votes to break a filibuster. And that's our Washington report for this week.